know what? I am so happy to be here, everyone. This is an epic, epic show. Welcome to another week of what, Kevin? TV channeling. Yeah, Uh-oh. we are back, people. And it's not just a regular TV channeling show that you've come to know and love. It's a TV channeling special. TV channeling is going back to the 90s when phones weren't so smart and you had a lot less mileage on you. So, damn. You, basically, <laughs> you basically came out and called them old, Kevin. I mean, oh, damn. oh, I didn't mean mileage is that good. I, I meant you were less experienced. You were more innocent and, you know, you were more like a virgin than you are now. Let's just, you're basically, a lot less. Yeah, you're calling them dumb as hell. Great. Thank you for assaulting our uh, <laughs> listeners straight off. <laughs> I was slut shaming our listeners, Tachi. Get it right. Get oh, okay, it right. Thank you. All right, so this is a special TV channeling when I when I slut shame the audience. It's not, that's for the first part of it being special, but the second part is it's one of the top five shows that you know and love about TV channeling. And this time, like I said before, we're going back to the 90s. We're talking about our top five favorite movies of the 90s. And this show is too big for just Tachi and I. We have a special guest. Yeah. Special guest and friend to the show. Say hi to the people. Thank you so much, Tachi and Kevin, for having me. Anthony Tong Show is here, guys, and I'm really excited to go back to the 90s with these doubles. Did you call us devils? <laughs> doubles. <laughs> Not doubles. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to get insulted for a minute. Okay, I have no comment. All right, so (laughs) this show is already off the rails, and we've only been talking for 15 seconds. All right, so uh, let's start it off by with you, Tone. What is your number five fave movie of the 90s? Well, for those who know me, they know that I have a passion for science fiction, horror, and comic books. So my list is going to reflect that. My number five choice is going to be The Incredible Batman Returns from 1992. It's a superhero film directed by none other than Tim Burton, starring the very funny at times Michael Keaton reprising his role of Batman and Bruce Wayne, Um, also Danny DeVito as the Penguin, everybody loves Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, and Christopher Walken and a slimy businessman. Now, the budget for this film was $80 million, and I think it's important to talk budget when it comes to these type of movies because comic book movies and superhero movies have set the, basically a, a new, um, a new um, level as far as it comes to making money in these movies. So the budget was $80 million back in um, 1990s. 1992, and it brought in 266 million dollars. You heard that, 266 million dollars. It was a blockbuster of its time. And what really draws me to this particular movie, guys, is is the atmosphere. Besides the fact that it's a Batman movie, and it's basically the movie that started everything going. Um, you can say that what we are what we are enjoying today as comic book fans is because of the success of the Batman and the Batman sequel, not because of the two movies that followed. So I'm definitely indebted to this movie, and I think anybody who's a fan of Batman or comic book movies or superhero movies has to look back and say this movie is the one that started it all, and it was a hell of a movie also. All right, first of all, let me just say that is a huge slap in the face to one Clark Kent. Superman saved the world and or the universe several times before Batman showed up drenched in latex. So, not cool, Tone. Not cool. Well, Superman Superman was wearing a, a leotard. Now what? 
Yeah, but he was saving. The point is, he saved the world, not just Gotham. Batman just saves his little block. He he's still Jenny from the block, whereas the man from Krypton is saving uh, the whole planet and the universe on repeat. Okay, uh, uh, okay, okay, touche, but here's the thing. Let's not forget that Superman has powers Batman does not. What the hell oh, else no, are you doing? No, my issue is the idea that he's saying that this was the beginning of, like, the superhero blockbuster. Just like, no, Christopher Reeves was saving the world before Batman was a thought in, you know, uh, Tim Burton's eye. So it was not yeah. even. Not even. So Maybe that's all I'm trying to say. Let's show, just be Kevin. real. I thought it was top 90s movies. Not let's criticize Tone Show's top 90s movies. That, I'm, not criti- I'm, not crit- I'm not criticizing <laughs> your choice. I'm criticizing you calling it the first of the blockbuster superhero movies, uh, ushering in an era that had already been ushered in decade before. So that's all I'm saying. Okay. Tone Show, uh, we forgot to tell you there was going to be a public flogging on this. <laughs> I see this. Um, no, but honestly, though, if we, if we look at the success of these movies, it's definitely what put what we call the juggernaut of comic books into action. Christopher Reese is one of my favorite um, comic book actors, just actors, period, rest in peace. But I really don't think it was until Batman that Hollywood saw the potential to cash in on the superhero genre. Yes, yeah, and that is the key thing. That What you're saying is absolutely right. Because with Superman, I, that was not the beginning of the uh, franchises of blockbuster superhero movies. It was a standalone. If you think about it, there was nothing else that followed it. So Batman really was the beginning. Kevin. Wait a minute, are you people on drugs? Okay, first of all, there was Superman, there was Superman 2, there were several Superman movies. So the idea that Hollywood didn't know they could cash in um, by making superhero movies is kind of crazy. No, not that they could have, but they it was only Superman. It was only Superman, Kevin. They weren't cashing in, okay, once Batman came, then they started to discover... This will work ching. with other. Yes, exactly. I think that's what Tone is trying to say. Right, Tone? That's exactly what I'm trying to say. And let me just iterate a little bit another point on this. Batman Returns is a sequel to the original Batman movie. Now, the original Batman movie grossed $411 million, and it had a budget of $35 million. Now, now the sequel, Batman Returns, which, which, which took place in the 90s, and I couldn't pick Batman, you know, from 1989, because it was 1989, had a budget of $80 million, so double the budget, but only brought in $266 million. So it brought in less money, and it, had, it, it took more money to make it, but it was critically a success. Um, the studio basically wanted Tim Burton to come back. Tim Burton delivered a much darker movie, and the studio thought that's the reason they sold less Happy Meals and less toys, and they decided to go the whole Joe Schumacher way which is basically the whole blockbuster building and tim burton basically left and um and michael keaton left when when joe schumacher came in but this definitely is the movie that proved to everyone that hey you can actually make money and make sequels with these movies so take that kevin Okay, you better come I, with and, your facts. Oh, you can t- and you can take it back because again, there was Superman, <laughs> there was Superman two, and there was another couple Supermans after that. So the idea that that the that for some reason Batman and Batman Returns was the was what gave Hollywood a wake up call that they could make money with uh, doing a series of films is ridiculous because there was a series of Superman films. Clearly, the two of you are not going to agree on this. So, All right, like, may you know, I just, give my? Um, we're going to guess. We're going to agree to disagree, so let's move on over to you, Tachi. What is your number five uh, fave film of the 90s? Okay, so I think that 
While the 90s were a decent age or a decent era for films, blockbuster films especially, it's, it wasn't necessarily my favorite era. But there are a few standout films that are independent films that I really liked. So my number five, kind of number five, is Run Lola Run. Have you guys ever seen this movie? I have seen Run a Little Run, and aside from Train Spotting, yeah, I think it's definitely a, definitely a foreign film that people should check out from that time. Absolutely. What yeah, about yeah, you, Kev? I, I, I've seen it too. Great. Thank you for your uh, your enthusiasm with that. Anyway, <laughs> so, so. you didn't ask me how I felt about. It. You asked me if I had seen it, and the answer is yes. So but I didn't know what I, I was supposed to give you more information than that. You, th- you you always give me more information than I asked for anyway. Why should this time be any different? Uh, okay. Well, let me tell you what I was wearing when I went to the theater to see it. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> so right, anyway. Tell us about me, the movie. When did it, when did it, what year did it come out? Okay, so it came out in 1998, and it's actually a German film. It's a thriller film that was written and directed by Tom Teichwer, and it stars Franca, or Franca, I think she says it, Potente. And she is the girlfriend from The Born Identity, if you remember. And then I, she was also in the beginning of The Born Supremacy, but then, of course, she gets killed. All of his uh, people get killed. So yeah, he, just like James Bond, don't don't date James Bond or the uh, Jason Bourne because you're gonna go. <laughs> you're gonna go. I don't care how sexy they are. <laughs> you're, you're gonna go. So um, she also now plays. The, I can't remember the character's name, but she's like the Russian drug lord lordess in Claws. <laughs> Lordess, Lord I don't know. <laughs> Not a lord, but a lordess <laughs> in uh, TNT's claws. So I was like, hey, it's Franca. So anyway, the story is about a woman who has to get 100,000 Deutschmark in 20 minutes in order to save her boyfriend's life. The thing that is the coolest about this is it gives you three scenarios. So it's kind of like a, the twist of plot books, remember from back in the 80s where you could choose your own adventure? It was kind of like that. And you could actually, like on the DVD, choose like what ending you wanted. So it gives you three scenarios. Um, and they're all pretty cool. So it was uh, released on DVD in 1999 and then Blu-ray, and not until 2008. But it screened at the Venice Film Festival. This is an indie film, obviously. And it's got, it got crit- critical acclaim, including the Grand Prix of the Belgian Syndicate of Cinema Critics and also the Audience Award at the Sundance Film Festival, Best Film at the C- Seattle International Film Festival, and a bunch of other awards. So it is really a great film. I think that for people who are not used to independent or foreign film, um, you get so engrossed in the story that you're not even bothered by the subtitles in this film. So it's a, it's a great film. You can choose your own adventure. I, I highly recommend it. And let me just say that um, in the 90s, the, the price of admission to this film, besides the actual price of admission, was you had to read subtitles. So I feel like a lot of people were turned off by this movie. I feel like today maybe the the movie going public feels a little different about watching a subtitled movie because we have been exposed to so many that were great um, foreign films. But this is definitely one that you should definitely check out. I definitely agree with you, Tachi. Cool beans. And Kevin is silent. Anyway. Uh, I'm listening to you two talk. Sorry. (laughs) No worries. No worries. So that's my number five. So Kevin, obviously you want to give us your number five. What is yours? Well, 
what <laughs> I'm not gonna even <laughs> dignify whatever nonsense was about to come out of your mouth. I just ignore that. Anyway, talk to the mic. All right. So speaking of nineties. All right. So um my number five pick, I've had I've struggled to narrow this list down. And one of the of ways that, that helped me to narrow this list down was to look at it this way. There are a lot of movies from the 90s that I absolutely love. There were a lot of great movies uh, during that particular decade. But for me, the test is, if I happen to be flipping around channel surfing and I happen upon one of these movies on TNT or TBS, then will I be able to turn away or am I going to be forced at gunpoint to have to watch the movie till its completion? And these are movies that if I'm flipping around and they're on, like, damn it, I'm watching this, I guess. And uh, so my number five is Galaxy Quest from 1999. Um, First of all, I don't know how you people feel, but if, if Sigourney Weaver is in something that is science fiction, I, I have to watch it. There's just no, I don't have any Preach. options. Preach. So, judge. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you who haven't seen Galaxy Quest, it is an absolutely genius premise. So, the idea is that uh, Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver uh, and Alan Rickman were in a, a part of a cast of a show a lot like Star Trek. And um, the show was on for like four years and it has a cult following, and their careers haven't really gone anywhere since. Uh, and they basically go and sign autographs for a living. Uh, but for some reason uh, some aliens in a galaxy far far away they believe that these they don't see this as a television show they're actually getting these they're actually getting this the signal some way and they think that they're it's actually some kind of like documentary about the adventures of of this brave crew and they are face facing a huge enemy that could destroy their whole species so they basically come to earth to put the crew back together to save them and the rest of the galaxy and it is such a fun ride. It actually, what's so great about it is, it's anybody who's a fan of classic sci-fi things like Star Trek. If if you haven't seen this and you love Star Trek, then you got to see it. But it it manages to be funny. It manages it manages to have some heart, and it actually seems to have some real jeopardy. A lot of things that are kind of action comedy, the comedy overtakes the action where you're not really feeling like people are in danger. There's actually times when you kind of are afraid for the people in it. So it actually does have the the action and thrill kind of uh, going for it. And again, it is Sigourney Weaver and the uniform they put her in. I don't know if you're anybody familiar with Seven of Nine. Yeah. Basically, they yeah. put the 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 character that Sigourney Weaver played was basically there for eye candy, and they put her in an eye candy uniform. And let's just Miss Weaver worked it. Wow. So <laughs> the show is fun on several levels. <laughs> I'm going to check it out because I have not seen Galaxy Quest, and I am a huge Star Trek fan. So I'm going to see it per your recommendation, Kevin. All right. Well, thank you, Tachi. I, it, oh. it, it, it absolutely is a must-see for sci-fi fans. I think it's I'm a must-see. I'm really must upset see. you chose this movie, Kevin, because I totally agree with you. You're totally right. This is a must-see movie. 
I'm not a fan of comedy a lot as far as movies go, but this is one movie I think you should make an exception for. So right on, Kevin. And Alan Rickman, R.I.P., who, who you guys probably, a lot of you know from Harry Potter, a uh, okay. great actor. Um, he, he definitely pulled his weight in this movie, as always. And it's probably one of the only Tim Allen movies that, I'm not really a big Tim Allen fan besides Tim mm-hmm. Time. Uh, <laughs> uh, you well, see, you, yeah, you're, you're, even, you're even cool for like, getting him for Tool. This is, this is my one and only Tim Allen recommendation ever. Yes. No matter what top five we're doing, you will not hear Tim Allen's name out of my mouth ever again. You're so right. Exactly. All right, Tone. So what is your number four fave movie of the 90s? Well, for my, my number four movie is going to be a, a little movie that some of you might have heard of. It's called Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Mm. Now, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, Terminator 2 Judgment Day is a sci-fi action film directed by the incredible James Cameron. The film stars none other but Arnold Hasta La Vista, baby Schwarzenegger, as well as badass Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor and Robert Patrick as the incredible Changing Liquid T-1000. Uh, it also had Edward Furlong as John Connor. And this movie had a budget of $94 million, And remember, this is the 90s we're talking about, and it grossed $520 million. So we're talking about half, half a billion dollars at the box office. And what I love about this particular movie, guys, is I love science fiction. Like, that's that's my genre. But action and science fiction is something that is very hard to, to meld to, together perfectly. And I feel like this movie and another movie that was in the 80s, uh, let's call it Aliens, that was also a James Cameron movie, are the, probably the two best examples of science fiction and action meeting together. That and the incredible um, liquid effects, special effects that we've never seen before, before this movie. I def- definitely think it puts it on the top five of anyone's list for the 90s. Oh my God! You know what, Tone? Thank you so much because literally my top five list was shape shifting. <laughs> it's made of liquid metal as well, <laughs> and <laughs> I it's, I have been said had such a hard time finalizing my list. And Terminator Two Judgment Day has been like on teetering on and off the list. And so thank goodness somebody brought it up so we can talk about it. There, the definition of badass. Badass. Linda Hamilton pumping that shotgun it just on repeat Linda Hamilton was, Weaver. Mm-hmm. I, I was gonna say i was gonna say the two women would be sigourney weaver and get get your get away from her you bitch with in, in, um, in, in um in aliens oh my god i can just tell you people right now when we do the top 80s movies Top five, in, yes, we will be talking about aliens a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. So you got a little taste. But, um, well, thank you for spoiling the top eight, <laughs> 80s movies already. There's no need for us to do that show now. <laughs> well, there's still four more surprises. There's oh, a, and, and will it be number one or will it be number five? We don't know. So there's still suspense. Well, now you've told us it's one or five. Anyway. I <laughs> said, <laughs> It could be number two, it could be number three, it could be number four. The jury is still out. Anyway, but no, absolutely love Terminator 2. And you know who I feel bad for whenever I think of Terminator 2? I feel bad for that poor man who comes in to talk to his wife who's on the phone trying to track down Sarah Connor. And he's just drinking, he's drinking some milk out of the carton, which is their first mistake. That has cost many people their lives before him. And, and so he's just, and he's like, hey, honey, what's going on? And so instead of being like, shh, 
the uh the liquid the liquid metal is taking the form of his wife and all of a sudden her finger starts to grow and he's like looking at her finger don't look at your wife's finger as it starts to grow because it's going to go through your head and through that carton of milk ruining milk and you know relationships it was very upsetting <laughs> to see that scene so whenever anybody's finger starts to magically grow or somebody starts to shape shift don't stand there to see what what they turn into exit stage left but then there's no movie kevin they have no, to stand there, there the movie could still happen just that one guy who had the milk he would have been able to live to basically raise his kids now his kids are total orphans they don't have a mom or a dad well this now i'm the sad PSA by tv channeling <laughs> i know right <laughs> when an alien starts when, when somebody who's an alien is taking the form of a loved one and they start to shapeshift in front of you don't stand with your mouth open looking get the hell out of dodge and that's one to grow on. The more you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, Tachi, are you a fan of Terminator 2? Meh. <laughs> All right. What? Well, we're done talking about it, it sounds like. <laughs> okay, moving on to Tachi's pick. <laughs> well, wait, wait, one last thing I got to say. The, the effects, Tony, you were right about the effects. We had never seen anything like the liquid like metal. It. Was so amazing. We can't, I can't stress enough how incredibly jaw-dropping those effects were seeing them for the first time. It was amazing. I, I, I have to agree with the both of you on that. That was really the advent of when um, special mm -hmm. effects started to turn around and stopped being so um, choppy and stopped being so unrealistic. It well, really what, you're did. what you're saying is, Tachi, they used to be effects and they weren't really that special. And then finally, in Terminator 2, they became special, special effects. Special effects, yes. Yes. Thank you, Kevin. Yes. All right, Tachi, what is your number four? So I'm going to go with another indie for this one. As you know, I am 100% in love with the show Pose on uh, FX. No, is it FX? Yeah, it is FX. So, but Pose would not have been Pose if it wasn't for the 1991 documentary film Paris is Burning. Paris is Burning is really, really set the stage for all of that. Have you seen that? Either one of you seen Paris is Burning? I have not. I have okay. not either. I know the name. Okay. So you know the premise of Pose, and it basically takes it from this. So it was actually filmed in the mid to late 80s and then premiered in 1991. So it, it's about the ball culture of New York City, and ball culture in New York City was started um, by African-American and Latino gay and transgender youth, basically. So really, a lot of critics say that this was an invaluable documentary. It's a documentary. Um, of the end of the golden age of New York City drag balls and it was it actually looked at race and class and gender and sexuality in America and obviously at this time this was also you know we were in the midst of the AIDS epidemic there was a lot going on um, uh, the economy was not that great so there are a lot of social issues too that were happening at this at this time and this um, documentary really covers a lot of it so it was um, uh, started, or sorry, filmed and directed by Jenny Livingston, who was a film student at, of course, NYU. NYU film students do so many amazing things. And she by chance met this group of young gay men in Washington Square Park um, in 1983. And the thing that drew her to it was the uh, movements of voguing, 
that she said and, the, and other types of dance and the unusual slang that they use. So what she realized later that they were talking about the categories in the ball competition. So if you've ever seen polls and you the uh, the character who is the the uh, host kind of the caller at the ball that says the category is that's kind of that's the way it works in these balls. So the the what happens is there are these different houses that compete so everybody that lives in the house these are usually youth that have been turned out by their parents for being gay or transgender and a lot of them lived on the streets right and so to avoid that you would have um they would come together and there would be quote house mothers who would provide for her quote children and um they take on a name and one of the biggest ones that you know still around today is the house of extravaganza so that means everybody who's a member of that house takes the last name extravaganza so it's it's really it's a great um look at ball culture in new york city in the um late 80s and early 90s and it's just it's it's amazing and it, it and when you look at popular culture today and uh, where a lot of things have come from well okay looking at models and the way they walk those walks actually came from the gay and transgender community that whole thing that came from there and it was adapted to the runway uh, because actually a lot of the coaches that taught the models walking they were uh, gay and transgender and they were teaching them these types of walks. So a lot of what we know in the fashion industry today and in popular culture really has its start in the ballroom culture by gay um, and transgender black and Latino youth. And I re this is really an important piece. So it, I, to me, one of the best documentaries out of the 90s. Well, it's really amazing how Madonna was able to inspire so many gay and transgender black and Latino men and women. So it's incredible to hear about how uh, about this film that she uh, inspired. Inspired or co-opted? Excuse me, who said that? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to. I just had to say. You, you know, I was gonna say something. <laughs> Madonna, Madonna and her uh, co-opting self. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> well, she didn't just co well, she didn't just co-opt from the from them. She also co-opted from Greta Garbo and Monroe, Dietrich, Dietrich and, and DiMaggio, okay. <laughs> Marlon Brando and Jimmy Dean on the page on the of cover magazine. of a magazine. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Tone. Sorry. <laughs> No, I was gonna say that that sounds like definitely something I gotta check out. I have not seen that film, and it's by you describing that movie, there was a lot of, of similarities to another movie that I struggled with not putting on my list, which was Kids, which is also yes. Sorry, yes. To, <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> you said Washington Square Park. You said um, substance abuse. You said children at youth and Latino and 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 it and it dealt with a lot of those issues that were happening the AIDS epidemic in New York City during that time. So it yeah. I got gotta check it out. Kids was off the hook. Oh my gosh, I'm still haunted by that for that day. But it, it's important because both of them, even though Kids was fictional, it's really not because that's what was happening and there was a lot of. Um, a lot of criticism towards the director of kids and the movie and of course kids had a young um this was her first role you know what i'm about to say right oh um, yeah we all know her as night nurse yes but but her name rosario um, dawson there you go rosario rosario dawson this was her first role in kids mm -hmm. so um 
both of them are important though one is fictional and one is nonfiction. they mm -hmm. both really talk about the issues that were happening in new york city at the time growing up as a youth whether it's transgender straight gay and and the issues of just you know everyday life in new york so spot on with kids yeah definitely so the movie is called again paris is burning paris is burning. and what year again was that from 1991. wow yeah Check it out. Check it out. It's it's a it's a must watch, definitely. So off of my must watch onto Kevin's, Kevin's number four. Kevin, what is your number four? All right, there was no way I could do a list of top five movies from the '90s without giving a shout out to at least one SNL alum. So this one goes to one Mr. Bill. Murray. And mm. I got to say Groundhog's Day from 1993. Mm. So for those of you who uh, aren't familiar with it, uh, the, the movie is actually about a local weatherman who dreams of going national and he gets a drudge job of going uh, to every year. They still do this today. Um, there is a groundhog that comes out and there's a whole thing about there's a whole groundhog festival uh, Punxsutawney Phil as uh, Punxsutawney is the town and the name of the is the every year there's a new groundhog named Phil Punxsutawney Phil and the idea is if he's is he going to come out if he sees his shadow there's uh, I think six more weeks of winter and if he doesn't see his shadow then it's like spring 15 minutes later but what's really fun about the movie is uh, Bill Murray hates being in this town and um, he thinks he's leaving the town but he wakes up the next morning and the whole day starts over again the exact same day it's 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 groundhog's day and he experiences groundhog's day countless times and it's kind of like the universe is like you're gonna keep living this same day until you get it right and it is hysterical. It's funny, but it actually has some real depth to it. It has some real heart to it. And Bill Murray just, this is the beginning of people recognizing that Bill Murray was a serious actor, I feel. Mm, that's a good one. Groundhog Day was, yeah, there's, it's funny, but it was a little bit disturbing. It was a dark funny, and that's why I think that Bill Murray really showed that he could act, because it was like people were ready for Bill Murray to be funny, but for him to be suicidal, because at one point he gets so up, he's he's having a hard time with this, as anybody would, how to keep living the exact same, especially when it's a bad day that you keep living over and over again, and he starts trying to kill himself in a myriad of, I hate to say it, hilarious ways, uh, <laughs> and um, he keeps waking up the next day after dying in all these different different ways and finally he realizes just like okay death is not gonna help me escape from this so he keeps living this day in the different ways and getting to know the people in this town and making different choices and um the movie's just a delight it absolutely is wait Kevin, so and it was written by harold ramus r.i.p which every, every lot yes. of people know from Ghostbusters fame, but the yes. man was really a great writer. He doesn't get the credit he deserves for his writing. Also, I got to say, I got to give a shout out to Andy McDowell. She is the love interest in it, and she was a model back in the day, and she is luminous on screen. She's so beautiful. She's so funny. She's so smart. She puts Bill Murray in his place several times, 
and uh, it's just worth watching. And there's another SNL alum in it. Chris Elliott is also in the movie. Oh, Chris Elliott. Uh, yeah, so it's it, the movie is super fun. I can't recommend it enough. Great wow. Pick. Great, yeah, excellent pick. All right, thank you. Well, Tone, let's. What is your number three? Well, for my number three, um, this 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 was my favorite movie a lot of times, guys. And as it's funny how time changes your perception of things depending on what's going on in the world. Uh, but it's still one of my favorite movies, even though I, I gotta admit my feelings have changed for it. Uh, it's a little movie from the '90s um, called The Usual Suspects. Mm. Now, The Usual Suspects is a 1995 noir mystery movie directed by Brian Singer, which some people might know as X-Men director. Um, it's starring Kevin Spacey, Stephen Baldwin, Pete Postawiti, I always messed up this man's name, um, Chaz Pullman Terry, Gabriel Bryan, uh, Benicio Del Toro, and Kevin Polak. Uh, the plot is basically, it's about a suspect being interrogated in a room, and he's discussing, he's telling you the unusual events that have brought him into this predicament of being interrogated. And what I love about this particular movie, The Usual Suspect, guys, is this is the first time, honestly, besides, um, besides The Sixth Sense, which came later, where a movie completely took me. I'm talking about, it just took me for a ride. And at the end, I was completely, I'm talking about completely 100% surprised with what happened. And that's never happened before in my case when watching movies. And to this day, I'm still fascinated by this movie. It's a movie that you cannot watch once. You must go watch it twice because after watching it for the first time, you're going to have to rewatch it to see what exactly happened the first time around. The Usual Suspects. Hmm. Usual Suspects. Okay, good, good. And I haven't seen it. So, but now because of you, I'm going to. Yeah, so it's this one's a hard one to even talk about because I don't want to do any spoilers because this movie <laughs> deserves to be seen completely going in and not knowing anything, which is hard with some of these movies that are that like that that are so big and known for the fact that people were so surprised by it that um it's it's been so many tropes other movies have done parodies of it and uh and jokes about the pivotal moment uh at the end and uh so i, I hope that a lot of people will go into this you know with little to no knowledge uh other than tone's ex uh, excellent description and go in there and just let it wash over you I definitely you have to let it wash over you. And this is a great ensemble piece. Like I think Benicio Del Toro, um, this is one of the fir the first performances where I really started to see his genius. He's a great he's a great character actor and just a great actor as as a whole. Uh Stephen Baldwin, um, who always mispronounce his name, Stephen, Stephen, I can't ever get his name right. Stephen Baldwin. Um, he did a great performance. It's it's really a great cast, it's a great director, and this was written by Christopher McQuarrie. It's a it's a great piece of a uh, of um of a film. It's a great piece of a film, and you you should definitely check it out. Well, it's kind of funny when you mentioned the, the, the one of the reasons why your feelings might be different about it looking back is because of the two people that are that are yes, to deal with it. Yes. We got mm -hmm. Kevin Spacey, who's yeah, it's kind of yes. hard to uh, separate the man from the art, but also Brian Singer, who's yes. had more than a few accusations thrown his way. That's yeah, exactly why I feel completely today. It's really hard to separate it from what it was, but it's a great film. And I honestly, guys, I'm still I'm one of those people who's like, yo, FDR, if the person did horrible stuff. But I don't know. I'm biased on this one. It's a great film, but um, it doesn't excuse the people in the movie. Yeah. As uh, long as you keep Brian Singer away from your uh, and Kevin Spacey away from your uh, teenage sons, then I think you, uh, you know, still enjoy the film. 
Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know about that. Okay, so, Kevin, don't you want to ask me something? Oh, Tachi, how uh-huh. have you been? No, just kidding. Okay. <laughs> oh, now you care about how I've been. I've been any other time on chopped liver. Okay. Tachi, so what is your number three? Yeah, your number three. My number three is uh, by a man who is one of the people that inspired me to become a filmmaker, Spike Lee. My number three is Malcolm X. It is such a huge epic film. It came out in 1992, and it is based largely off of Alex Haley's autobiography of Malcolm X. But of course, there's a lot of liberties taken with that. And for those of you who don't know, it's about the um, activist Malcolm X, who was a member of the Nation of Islam, and then in his later years became uh, more of an Orthodox uh, Muslim after uh, left the nation, and then after leaving Mecca, Uh, had more of a revelation. So it was co-written, directed by Spike Lee and also co-written by him. And Denzel Washington becomes Malcolm X. First of all, Denzel is a fantastic actor anyway, but he just really lives, eats, sleeps, and breathes Malcolm X. Now, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X before I went to go see the film because I wanted to have a a basis for which to judge. And of course, there's a lot of similarity, but then there are also some liberties that Spike Lee takes with this. Obviously, it's, you know, film, and you're trying to make some things, zhuzh some things up. Um, but it's, it's really a great film. It talks a lot about his early years. And for those who didn't know, Malcolm X was, you know, kind of like a gangster. He was known as Detroit Red back then and um he was a gangster he sold drugs he you know was into running numbers and that type of thing and then eventually went to jail and while he was in jail was when he got his uh, revelation okay about there was a uh there were a couple of people that were members of the nation that were i guess incarcerated incarcerated and so that's kind of what brought him to his realization so um Spike Lee wasn't the only person who wrote it. It was also Arnold uh, Pearl. And I said, again, it's largely based off of Alex Haley's 1965 book, The Autobiography of Malcolm X. And it was released in on November 18th, 1992. I remember specifically because I was in college, it was an undergrad, and a bunch of us went to go see the film. It was um, very critically acclaimed. It won, it, see, we thought it was going to get best film, but we should have known that was before hashtag Oscar so white. So that wasn't going to happen. But um, I think there was, uh, he was, Denzel Washington was nominated for best actor. And there were a couple of other um, awards that it got as well. And of course it was, uh, there was controversy around it. Uh, there were some in the community that wanted to make sure that the depiction of Mal- Malcolm X was going to be uh accurate that they thought that Spike Lee was going to focus too much on pre-Mecca Malcolm and not enough on post-Malcolm, post-Mecca Malcolm. So, but they, there was also a problem budgeting, right? Because this was, uh, Lee had difficulty securing sufficient budget to do this. So what he had to do was go to some of the prominent black, um, people in Hollywood at that day. He went to Bill Cosby, he went to Oprah, he went to Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Janet Jackson, and a couple of other people. Um, And they were the ones who helped him because once Warner said, well, we're not giving you any more money, 
they took up the call and gave him money to finish the film. So just because, you know, because of that, it, it shows the resilience and spirit uh, of Spike Lee wanting to get things done and get this important story told. And the cinematography was absolutely beautiful. The, um, the, he had some of his classic dolly shots. If you know anything about Spike Lee films, he used the dolly shots, but it, it fits so well. And then the soundtrack was amazing uh, for this. So Malcolm X is my number three. Well, well, one thing I want to say is that uh, the people that were complaining about the fact that they were afraid that he was going to focus too much on his early life before the transformation, the transformation doesn't mean anything unless you know what he's transforming from. Absolutely. So I think that that was a, a mistake. And it's I love uh, you sharing the bit of uh, trivia about the uh, uh, different people that actually help make the movie happen financially. So that's I never heard uh the about oprah and janet jackson and uh you know uh everyone else um mr sleep and everything making this happen yes oh god did you say mr sleep (laughs) (laughs) you snuck that in so slickly kevin (laughs) well i refuse to say his name anymore so i just refer to him as mr sleep i feel you i i feel you but it's aka lights out oh lord let me just add that um, when I saw this movie, uh, which it's a great film, and Denzel Washington, he doesn't get the he's 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 one of my top tier actors. I always said the man is greatly underappreciated in Hollywood, and just just as the the quality of performances that he delivers, um, he he won uh, an Oscar for um for Training Day, but there's Malcolm X is one of those movies that you look back and say he was definitely robbed. He was a lot of movies. He it's a great performance as well. Oh, he was robbed. He, he was robbed like thieves robbed a house in a home invasion. It was terrible. But again, it was a different time in Hollywood. There was a mm-hmm. lack of awareness in terms of diversity. They and they didn't care either. So yeah. you know, yeah, he, we, yeah, you, he was yeah, he was robbed like Mister Sleep stole so many women's consciousness. You you had to put Mister Sleep in there again. I was waiting for your <laughs> your next jab at Mister Sleep. I was waiting for that. <laughs> I was waiting. So okay. off of Mr. Sleep, on to Kevin's number three. Kevin, what is your third pick? Yes. Okay. Now, when it comes to our top five episodes, many fans of the show know that sometimes we've been known to kind of fudge the numbers and squeeze in multiple mm. films mm. in a particular one slot. Now, some might think I'm trying to do that by mentioning the films of one Sandra Bullock. I do. And just nominating all of them. Every last one of them from the 90s. But I'm going to narrow it down. And I'm actually going to nominate 1995's While You Were Sleeping. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, it is the story about a hopeless romantic Chicago Transit Authority uh, token uh, collector uh, played by Sandra Bullock, who ends up becoming kind of obsessed with this guy that keeps getting tokens from her every day. And um, she kind of falls for him. And he's actually paid by Peter Gallagher. And due to an accident, he ends up uh, being in a coma. And there's a misunderstanding, uh, like old school Frank Capra style, where the family thinks and the hospital thinks that because she's the one that saved his life and brings him in, 
they confuse and think that she's his fiance. And um, and so through the course of him being in this coma, she ends up falling in love with his whole family, including his brother, Bill Pullman. And the movie takes place at Christmas time. So to me, it's kind of a, it's not an actual Christmas movie, but it's kind of like Die Hard for me. It's just like, it, if it's a Christmas tree in it, I can watch it at Christmas. And so, <laughs> so I am calling it a Christmas movie. That's how I roll. So anyway, what I love about the movie is it's the thing that Sandra Bullock is so good at. Sandra Bullock is so good at being in this movies where it's like nobody understands how incredibly adorable and beautiful and great Sandra Bullock is. But me, the audience, me watching in the theater, I get it. I see how beautiful you are, even though these idiots all around you can't figure it out. Wait, one other guy has figured out that you're beautiful and smart and funny. All right, I guess he gets to be with you instead of me, but I wish you guys the best. And so that is pretty much every movie Sandra Bullock has ever been in. It's just like, nobody understands how hot I am and how funny and smart I am. And then finally, one guy figures it out. You know what? You are so right. You are so right. That is every single, single, that was single. Gravity. That was gravity. Yeah, that was gravity too, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's the, any yeah, Sandra Bullock movie. Even, You're right. Yeah, even the forces of gravity finally figured out how hot and smart and funny she was, and it worked out in the end. And so, anyway, I am a huge fan of this movie. I'm a huge fan of Sandra Bullock, and it is just the feels all the way through it. So, if you want to watch something that is super heartwarming, super funny, super fun, and just... I don't know. I don't know what else to say. This movie is celluloid hug. Celluloid hug. Okay. Wow. Cat As opposed crazy. to a cellulite hug, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Very cool. Oh, did I mention that Bill Pullman's? So there's Bill Pullman and Peter Gallagher, and it's a great ensemble cast. It's an old school kind of feeling movie, like um, Frank Capra, that kind of thing. So if you're in the mood just to really feel good, like I said before, a celluloid hug. If you need you need a hug, put on Sandra Bullock's 1995 while you were sleeping. Great, fantastic. Great well, all right. So Tone, what is your number two pick? Wow, we're getting down the list, guys. Um, my number two pick is also an, I, I have a I have a lot of little movies. It's a little movie called The Matrix from 1999. Uh, it's a science fiction movie that, directed by the Wachowskis. I can never get these guys' names right. I mean, these ladies' names right. Uh, the Wachowskis, um, starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, and Joe Pantoliano. Hope I got that right. Um, is basically it's 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 an it's an amazing an amazing uh piece of science fiction work. Uh, now a lot of you might say, well, it's the, it's the Matrix Tone Show. We know all about the Matrix and its and its sequels. You got to understand, before 1999, we we didn't have effects. This is just like the Terminator 2 movie. We didn't have effects where you see somebody bending back and dodging bullets. This this was eye opening. Millennials, pay attention. We're we're in session right now. This was eye opening. We never seen anything like this before. The science fiction in this movie, and also it also sticks out to me one of, of a great movie because even today, where this movie was filmed in 1999 and released. Um, I mean, film nineteen ninety eight, released nineteen ninety nine. Um, it, it speaks to a greater, a greater reality. Something that we're talking about today. Uh, basically, there's this argument out right now. It's, it's called the simulation theory by Nick Bostrom, and basically, it's, it, it postulates we might be all living today 
um, in a simulated reality. And the Matrix is is the first time that I ever I ever heard something like this. Um, occurring not just on film but in life period so the fact that today you have people like elon musk to neil degrasse tyson um actually talking about this theory about how we live in a simulation and this movie came out in 1999 and it basically talked about the same thing it's amazing uh, it's definitely a great science fiction movie and it's a great movie from the 90s you check it out uh, all right if, if we're living in a simulation right now there's definitely some kind of virus <laughs> that has messed things up in a major Damn straight. Can we, we can need to definitely back? we need to we need to reboot the presidential software because there is a glitch in the system, people. I need to go back and take the blue pill for real. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. but here's the thing. Um Tone, that was my one of my picks as well. <laughs> so oh oh, said, oh wait, yeah. wait 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 we gotta say we got a trifecta here because tachi uh, uh antone you also stole one of my picks oh that wow was really one of my wow so that uh, we can all agree we love this effing movie it is so incredible a absolutely well i if i if i could n never mind if i could i am it's my show too so there is a, that's right, there is a shot, a particular shot, where you talk about the effects here. A lot of what happens be, besides, the, this is so deep, because Tone, I love that you uh, brought up, uh, brought up um, the, uh, the simulation theory, Jean Baudrillard, from his book, uh, Simulacra and Simulation, and also there's an aspect of Alice in Wonderland to this, and also Plato's allegory of the cave. So there's a lot of religious and philosophical uh, theory that grounds this movie, which I absolutely love. Um, then also talking about the effects, this is like a precursor to the whole VR field. Even mm -hmm. though this was not 3D, and it wasn't intended to be, and it wasn't VR, they're simulating that in the way they do the shot. So that one shot where, um, uh, who was, I'm trying to remember exactly. Uh, is, it the, is it the back flipping shot or the one where he's walking on the walls? Uh, not the walking on the walls. It is the, yeah, the back flipping where he kind of like, and the camera goes around him. Or that 360 shot. The 360 yeah. shot, exactly. So that was actually created by having several cameras, which is the same concept of what VR is today, by having several cameras. I don't remember how many, but there were several cameras simultaneously that were timed to go off one right after the other. So it wasn't a, you know, all at the same time, but it was one right after the other. And that is how they created that 360 shot. That had not been done before. Why somebody didn't figure out before them, I don't know. But that to me is was like the beginning of really um, trying to look at the concept of VR and 360 and 3D or the resurgence of 3D in film. So that one shot right there says everything. Plus the, uh, the walking up the wall, there was a lot in there. Plus the acting, Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, come on. I know Kung Fu. Exactly. Yeah, to me, and Carrie Ann Moss was Ann everything. Moss. Yes, everything. And also, we got to give a shout out. If to nothing else in this movie, we got to give a shout out to the person in charge of wardrobe and oh, sunglasses. Yeah. This movie, but you had to raise your sunglass game after watching this movie because huh. they brought it. Absolutely, everybody was up in Ray Ban trying to figure out if I could <laughs> make could those get glasses like happen on a, on a mass market scale. Also, there one of the things I love about the movie is this whole concept of like 
uh, when Keanu Reeves is being uh, is talking to some part of the Matrix, and they're basically explaining, well, well, when we initially, this isn't the first Matrix. We built other one. The first one we built, we tried to make it nice for you people, and you rejected. <laughs> you could not handle a world what was nice without strife, and you rejected it. So we had to give you an effed up world, and then you're all like, "Yeah, this feels right. This feels okay. Okay, I can deal with this." That that alone was mind blowing. Just that concept that humans will will reject calmness and peace every time and choose strife and struggle and misery it's true though we and don't also, like I, nice things exactly we can't that's, this is why we can't have nice things that that's where that <laughs> saying came from that's exactly where the hell that saying this is why came we can't from. have nice presidents i mean um <laughs> and Kevin, um the scene where he take where he offers the pim the two pills that echoes that same scene you're just talking again it, 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 you see that a couple times in the movie about the choice you want to live mm. a happy life or do you want to actually see what's really happening? And also, I love the idea that when he's when he goes in, I, I can't remember the Oracle. We got to talk about the Oracle, uh, the, the original. Does anybody know the name of the original actress who played the Oracle? Uh, is that Gloria Foster? She was spectacular. She had oh so much gravitas um, as this kind of this guru. And I love when she, when when he first enters her home and there's all these kids that are doing these incredible things with their mind. Mm -hmm. And so the he, one uh, Keanu Reeves talks to this one little boy like he goes, "I don't understand how are you doing? How are you bending this spoon?" He goes, "The key is to remember there is no spoon." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, it was the movie is an absolute masterpiece. If you haven't seen it yet, you some millennials or generation, whatever is next, is it double Y? What I know what anyway, whatever you are, <laughs> Gen <Generation Z. laughs> whatever Gen you guys Z. are called, you need to see this movie. Cool I beans. Agree. Like that's wow. All so right, all right, Tashisa, what's, so, your, what's your next pick? Okay, so you're gonna go to me, which is actually gonna be my last pick then. Oh, okay, all right. Well, what's your last pick? Okay, so the, since I had The Matrix and we all agreed, um, my last pick is actually a Chinese film, and it's from 1991, somehow I like 91, directed by Zhang Yimou and starring Gong Li, Raise the Red Lantern. So I don't know if you guys ever saw it. Have you seen it? I haven't even heard of it. I never heard of this movie either. Oh, this is everything. Let me learn you as the old folks in the South would say. So it's an adaptation of Nijen, which is a 1990, uh, of Nijen's 1990 novel, Wives and Concubines. So it's set in the 1920s. So it's, it's from 1991, but it's a period film and it's set in 1990s China. And it tells the story of a young woman who becomes one of the concubines of a wealthy man during the warlord era. So it, it's, it's absolutely stunning the way it's shot and the colors. The color red is very prominent. It acts as a motif here. And so it's before, it's years before the Chinese Civil War. And Song Lian is, her, is the, the name of the um, lead character. She's 19 years old and she's educated and her father recently died and that left the family bankrupt. So. Her stepmother forces her to marry into the wealthy Chen family, and she becomes the fourth wife 
or really the third concubine, or they refer to her as the fourth mistress, or si tai tai, I think is how you say it, of the household. So she comes to, the, and she's educated, remember. So she comes to this place, and at first she's treated like royalty. She gets foot massages and uh, brightly lit, red lit lanterns. Um, and what the husband does, Master Chen, he visits. And so when it's your turn for him to visit your house, you, um, they light the red lantern. That's where that the name comes from. But she soon discovers that, you know, not everybody in the household gets the same luxurious treatment. And the master, Master Chen decides on a daily basis who he's going to spend the night with. And, um, whoever he decides is going to spend the night with that, uh, mistress or, or wife or whatever gets foot massage, foot massage. She gets her choice of menu items at mealtime and she gets the most attention and respect from the servants. So of course, you know, this is ripe for competition amongst all the wives. And so it just goes through the whole, uh, whole thing of all the competition and the struggles, the strife and what is, um, what it's like to live in that type of situation. And it's not as, um, all that it's cracked up to be basically. So it's a great film. It is excellent. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. He makes another one of my favorite Chinese films called happy times that is late. That comes a little bit later, but this film, if nothing else for the cinematography and the breathtaking shots, it is, and the story itself is wonderful. So Raise the Red Lantern by Zhang Yimou in 1991, he made it. Now, is this Curiosity, um, is this movie, was there a remake of it called uh, Farewell My Concubine? Um, I don't know that that is the same story. Or okay, if you're making sure. this up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, there's, there's a movie called Farewell. <laughs> All right, fine. I give up. Okay. <laughs> no, as far as I know, um, this is not uh, the same as that. But, you know, I'm sure there are similar stories <laughs> to this. That You know, they always say in film there's there are no new stories. It's the slant that you bring to it. So I'm sure this has been told before. Because, again, this is based off of reality. This is actually something that happened in 1920s uh China and before, but it's, but it is an amazing film. If you have not seen it, see it. Okay. So that was your number one. That that's my number one because we did the matrix. So. All right. Um, okay. So I'm going to go to throw to you tone because yeah, my, my number two was the matrix. Um, so, okay. and I blame you and Tachi for daring to choose the same movie as me, but fine. How dare so, we? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Tom, what is your number one, uh, of the, of the nineties? Okay. Um, well, well, let me say Tachi, I definitely put that on my list as well. Thank you Absolutely. Uh, for, for my, for my number one. Um, I'm going to read to you really briefly. Um, just what, uh, Americana is defined by wiki. Americana is a collective term of, for artifacts related to the history, geography, folklore, and cultural heritage of the United States of America. Now, my number one movie um, speaks directly to this. It's going to surprise you guys because it is a romantic comedy slash drama. It's not science fiction or action. It's a little movie from 1994 called Forrest Gump. Now, mm. Forrest Gump, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis. I can never get these names right. And Zemeckis. Zemeckis. <laughs> Thank you, Tachi. Robert Zemeckis. And written by Eric um, Raj. 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 We're going to have to come back and wiki check these. Um, 
Uh, but this movie is basically, uh, it's an amazing uh, 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 tale. It's something that's so incredibly original. The reason that it's my number one is because I cannot think of a movie that I've ever seen in my whole entire life where the character was so original, the story was so original, the way the story unfolded was so original. It's definitely Americana. It's definitely something that we export to the world. And when people hear say things, um, just walking passages like run forest, run, ping pong, bubblegum shrimp, Jenny, Lieutenant Dan. These are all words that just live within our popular culture uh, minds and we, we all share. So when somebody tells you life is like a box of chocolates, you know they're going to end it for you saying you never know what you're going to get. So um, <laughs> that's why this movie to me is just so amazing. Forrest Gump really is something that just it personifies like American, American creativity and the popular culture exports to the world. And as far as numbers, this movie took $55 million to make. And it made $677.9 million. We're talking, let's round it up to $700 million, guys. In the 90s, we're talking about Avengers money. Avengers money. And it was starring none other than Tom Hanks, Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, Gary Sinise, uh, my Kitey Williamson in, in Sally Field. And it's an amazing movie. I don't know anyone who doesn't know Forrest Gump, but if you've never seen Forrest Gump, you're doing yourself a giant disservice. And that's all I got to say about that. Well, all I know about the movie is that it is based on a shrimp restaurant, I think. <laughs> Bubblegum shrimp. <laughs> I think it's the other way around, Kevin. <laughs> oh, okay. I wasn't exactly sure which came first. But anyway, what I will say about oh, this movie is that um, Sally Field, yet again, puts in an incredible performance as Forrest's mother, which is really kind of about ageism, because what's so interesting is she played uh, Tom Hanks' love interest in a movie called Punchline, like, 15 minutes before this movie, and then, like, literally the next week, they're like, can you play his mom now? And she's like, I go, oh, okay. <laughs> so, but she is so good in this movie, and I haven't seen Tom Hanks ever put out a bad performance. Right. Wow, you hit it on the head, true. The man only picks great stories to tell. Absolutely. And who would have known that from his, you know, role in Bosom Buddies? <laughs> oh, my, oh, my God. What decade did Castaway? What decade was that movie out? Because, damn it, that should have been on my list. No, but Castaway was the 2000s. Oh, oh my God. Well, I just gave away another one of my picks. All right. <laughs> oh, Lord. Damn it. <laughs> So, off of the 2000s and back to the 90s, Kevin, what is your number one pick? All right. There are certain people that need to be mentioned when you mention the decade of the 90s. And there are two people in this movie. One of them, I would like to not mention, but I have to mention it. Nicholas Cage. Mm. There's no way I could get out of the 90s without bringing up Nicholas Cage at least once. So, and uh, this movie is actually called City of Angels from 1998. Mm -hmm. I cannot express how much I love this movie. So let me tell you a little bit about it. First of all, it's actually inspired by a classic film called Wings of Desire, which sounds like a, a highbrow porno, if you ask me, but fine. Um, <laughs> it's a very classy film. Anyway, a lot of soft focus. Anyway. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> Uh, thank you, Cinemax. But anyway, but anyway, 
Okay, so it uh, City of Angels asked the question, if an angel fell in love with a mortal, uh, and that angel being Nicolas Cage, uh, how would it go down? And so uh, one day, a doctor being played by Meg Ryan is operating on someone, and all of a sudden she sees a man appear in the operating room that only she can see. And then all of a sudden, the man in the operating room is, who's being seen is stunned why, why is this woman able to see me? Because uh, it turns out that Nicolas Cage is playing an angel of death. And um, I shouldn't say an angel of death. They're, just, they're angels. They're not, they're not just for angels of death. But there's a really great scene where when people are going through a crisis or, or rough times where an angel, there's a, uh, somebody's being robbed uh, uh, at gunpoint in a convenience store. And we can see the angels that are all around all the time. And we, and I love how they appear. The angels basically wear these like all black and they were these badass black trench coats. And, um, we see these angels like talking, trying to calm down the guy with the gun and like whispering in his ear and as well as the person, the cashier. And so we, we get little glimpses of what these angels are doing all the time. But one of the part of their duties is when someone dies to basically take them to the other side. And so Meg Ryan catches a glimpse of one of these angels played by Nicolas Cage as he's leading a little girl to the other side that she was operating on. And he becomes obsessed with her and uh, she becomes obsessed with him and also what i'd say about this movie is the movie is a love letter to southern california it absolutely is um it, it shows so many great sights he goes to this uh, uh farmer's market in downtown la that is is in a character on onto itself it's beautiful there's these shots of like meg ryan riding her bicycle through this tunnel that's down in downtown that's gorgeous um there's uh up we see parts of one of the characters uh dennis Fran plays a fallen angel because we find out that angels can you know basically leave the heavenly realm if they choose to and we he's living his life in uh san pedro and his backyard has one of the best movie views i've ever seen i have coveted that house ever since i saw this movie i uh, absolutely love it and meg ryan in this movie the word luminescent is her she has never been more beautiful than she is in this movie before since to ever look that incredible just you apparently she was touched by an angel because she is in this movie and the chemistry they have is so bizarre because everything that everything that Nicolas Cage touches is a little off and to have him playing an angel is so perfect because he's not quite mortal in real life I don't know what his deal is but he's not quite right and it's perfect for this role absolutely perfect so in every level the love story is incredible the the view of this city you feel transported to la it's beautiful and the poetry in this movie one of the things is that we learn about angels is the idea that of course they know understand every language but they hear music in the sunrise and sunset and there's these incredible shots where we see all these like literally 
thousands of extras every time there's a sunset or sunrise here in los angeles they go to the beach and they're there experiencing the sunrise and that's one of the gifts and the idea of like there are things that it will cost him he would be giving up to be with meg ryan and the whole question is will he give these things up all the incredible things it is to be eternal uh to be mortal to be with this woman and it is a beautiful story. And the ending does not take the, it does not go where you think it's going to go. And the ending is just, anyway, it's original. It is heartbreaking and uplifting and full of light and love and tragedy. All of it exists in this film. So I have to agree. I've seen this film and one of my favorite my favorite scenes are those beach scenes because there's just just so tranquil so well shot and of course you've got that magic light in in LA which is why everybody is loves to shoot out there because of the uh the beauty of the sunrise and the sunsets how the hell ever i went to go see this when it, um when it was in the theaters um in the 90s and i that ending spoiled it for me we were all like <laughs> What the hell is this? <laughs> so I have not watched that this film. Well, since I don't want to. Like, don't, I don't want to spoil it for I'm people. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just saying, what kind of cockamamie ending is this? So <laughs> I, I'm done with it. I was like, this can go to hell. Forget this. <laughs> so I have to slightly disagree with you on this one. Okay. Kevin. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Tony, Tony silence. You, you, yeah, have you have I, I take it you haven't seen it. I've seen City of Angels. Um, it's it's one of those movies that I saw a very long time ago. It's a Nicolas Cage movie, and honestly, besides National Treasurer one and two, like there's very few Nicolas Cage movies because Ghost Rider he just ruined Ghost Rider for me. Uh, but that's another topic. Um, so I really don't really recall. Like hearing you describe the movie makes me want to go watch it again. Honestly, mm, don't bother. <laughs> oh, th thank you, Tachi. Thank you for just spitting on my number one choice. Well, All right. well you spit on my wow. number five, so take that. All right. So now, TV channeling is hosted by a, a TV one singular, uh, no longer a twin. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> no longer a double. <laughs> this I'm is the so threat every time I say something about his choice, though. Oh so I'll be God. back next I'm week. I'm a solo worry. act now, people. I'm interviewing for new co-host. Mm -hmm. so. He says this every week. I'll be back. <laughs> well, first of all, I need to say thank you to you, Tone, for being on the show yet again. We love having you. I love having you because Tati won't be back here next week. But fine. I enjoyed having <laughs> you. And I might have you on again in the future. And if you want to basically submit your uh, resume to be the potential new co-host of TV channeling, that'd be great. <laughs> so, so Tachi, for the last time, why don't you tell people where they can listen to the show starring me? Well, I could just come back and tell them next week because I know I'm going to be back. <laughs> <laughs> this whole facade, the charade that you put on, it's very cute, but I know I'm coming back. So anyway, let me tell them where, where they can find us. We are, we're everywhere, it seems now. We're on Stitcher, iTunes, also known as Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, um, Google Play. We are on TuneIn Radio. We are on, we're on in a bunch of places. All you have to do, though, is go to tvchanneling.com. That takes you right to the podcast, and you can listen there. Also, whatever platform you listen on, 
I would love and Kevin would love for, for you to leave a review and rate us. We would love it. Okay, and then let's let's be a little bit more clear about this. We'd love to have you give us a five star review. Um, because anything less than five stars is just a lie and you know it. In fact, why are you still listening if you don't think that we are five star quality? You deserve a five star podcast, and that's why you listened. <laughs> and we Because just you lost... deserve the best. <laughs> we just lost the five And we give it we to have. you every week. <laughs> that we All right, so let me watch. tell you. Let me tell you where you can actually contact us on social media. Yes, um, we're everywhere on social media. We're we're on the book that's in your face. Uh, we are uh, uh, we're on the snapping of the chats. We're also on the gram that's Insta, and we're on my personal favorite uh, Twitter. So we would love to hear from you. So if there is a show that you'd like to, uh, us to review, if there is something going on in, in the world of entertainment and you want to get Tachi and Mai's take on it, or probably just my take on it, because uh, I may not have a co-host anymore. Um, or, or if you want to reach out to our, our, uh, our uh, friend of the show, Mr. Tone Show, uh, you can get in touch with us via any of those platforms, and we would love to talk with you. Actually, why don't you give us how we can reach you, Tone? Well, Tachi, um, I'm always on YouTube, so definitely check me out at youtube.com forward slash the Tone Show. I have a lot of opinions, so check them out. Fantastic. Yeah, so in case you were thinking he was shy, he let you know he is not. He not, has things to say. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> all right, and um, I guess this wraps up another uh top five episodes of well, first uh, I gotta say thank you though I thank oh, you go so ahead. much for Kevin and Tachi for having me on Kevin it's always nice to have a barrage of your opinions thrown at me and Tachi <laughs> you're so graceful thank you so much as well you guys are, are definitely a joy thank you thank you I'm glad I'm a joy anyway that, that, <laughs> even you Kevin <laughs> even Aww. you well, that about thank you, that, <laughs> That about we, we, does it. we enjoy having you on the show, which is why you are our, our uh, the guest. You've been our our, our most uh, reappearance guest ever. So <laughs> clearly, we we we're big fans of you as well. Absolutely, thank you so much, Tone, for coming on and gracing us and the audience with your presence. It is you definitely really are the third TV channeler. So thank you for being here, and thank all of you listening for being here too. It's because of you that we do this. You make it special, and we do it all for you. So with that, we're going to sign off. I'll say bye from Tachi, and goodbye from Kevin. And remember, if you're watching it, we're talking about it. And bye from Tone, too, right, Cheer? Uh, tone? <laughs> you got it, Tone. Okay, cool. Cheers! <laughs> bye. <laughs>